0: Alright, if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on that back table. You're welcome to borrow one. We'll be in Luke, chapter 19, and we'll start in verse 45, and we'll actually head into chapter 20 um, through verse 8 this morning. So we're back in the book of Luke. We took a few um Sundays off from the Book of Luke and our plan is to continue with this study. We'll have a few breaks here and there, but as I was trying to map it out, it looks like October ish we will finish um uh, the Book of Luke. So we've been going through I think that'll put us close to three years of on and off study in the book of Luke, um which is great. There's no rush. There's plenty to chew on here. Um so coming up here, we're, we're, we're into the last week of Jesus' life at this point. So the triumphal entry was the last thing that we saw. We're into the last week of Jesus' life, so we're fast approaching the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, we're also coming up, um, I look at it with trepidation, where Jesus' uh, instructions on the final days and the coming of the Son of Man. So we'll think about what Jesus has to say about those things. Um, so I ask that you would pray for me as I seek to... These are big things, the crucifixion and and the the resurrection and even those end times prophecies. I'd please pray that God would give me wisdom um, and insight. And let's just pray that God would continue to use the Gospel of Luke. I think it's just been such a timely book for us to study. And we've learned so many things um, just at the perfect time. And I trust that God's going to continue to do that as we walk through (laughs) Luke this spring, summer, and then into the fall. So again, the last time that we were in Luke, we left off with... um, The triumphal entry. So Jesus had had just come up over the Mount of Olives and was heading down into the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. If you remember that scene, he's riding on the donkey and the crowd is, is shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. We said that Jesus, in that moment, who had often restrained people from saying who he was, now he willfully takes on this symbol of of being Messiah, of being king, and he sits on the donkey, and he doesn't tell the people to be quiet. He lets them shout, and when the Pharisees say, tell them to be quiet, he says, if they're quiet, then even the rocks are going to cry out. Jesus is taking on this, this mantle as the Messiah, as the king. And then at the end of that, you remember the, just sort of the, the, the scene of contrast where he is, people are shouting that he is the king and he comes into Jerusalem. And what is he doing? He is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. He's weeping because this was supposed to be a day of, of peace. It was supposed to be a day of, of joy. But instead, as he's coming in, he knows that the, in light of the grumbling of the Pharisees, that, that it's a, going to be a day of, of division. It's a day of destruction that is coming on this city. So beginning in in chapter in verse 45 of chapter uh, 19, and then all the way through into chapter 21, verse 4, we're going to enter in this section that has a lot to do with the authority of Jesus. And, and trying to answer this question of who has authority to say things and to do things and why do they have that authority and he's sort of in in combat with a lot of the religious leaders of that day establishing his authority now so authority by authority we mean the the right to to control or to command someone or something so that's that's what we mean by authority to say you must do this or you can't do this and i have the right to tell you that as sinful human beings authority is something that we really don't like (laughs) We just naturally have this aversion to anyone telling us what we're supposed to do. We don't like authority figures, even from a young age, right? I mean, from a young age, I'm I'm reacting against authority. I can remember my sister had a friend um, when she was younger, and he was always around. And if you ever told this kid what to do, he would always say, you're not the boss of me. Drove me crazy, <laughs> but that's that's so often our reaction, just as children, and then all the way into adulthood. That's what we want to say: you're not the boss of me. We, we say people don't have the right to tell me what to do or not to do. And even remember back in, in chapter 19, the the citizens of the king. Do you remember that? What did they say? We don't want this man to rule over us. That's that's the whole. That's the heart of people. We just react against authority. We don't want it. I think we 've seen that in our in our nation now this this clash between um, citizens and police officers there 's some deep stuff going on there isn 't there with with issues of race and certainly abuse of authority and abuse of power, and yet also a desire not to submit to authority and a, a, a submit to power there 's a whole lot going i 'm not sure going to talk about the details of that, but we see this sort of clash between authority and how we don 't naturally want to go submit to authority, and half the time because authority often is corrupt. But, but there there are these things, that, there are people that do have authority over us. Parents have authority over children. Your boss at work has some measure of authority over you. Police officers, officers do have some measure of authority given by different uh, cities or states over us. And God has established all of these authority structures in our lives for. Good. And in fact, God is the source of all authority, and He has given all authority. Any authority that someone has is borrowed authority from God. Isn't that what He says, what Jesus says to Pilate? You would have no authority except that my Father gave it to you. Any authority in our lives is ultimately from God. And while there are people in positions that, that can and do abuse power at times, it's often the case that our hearts just want to rebel against any and all authority, even if the person is seeking our good. Even if the person is Jesus himself, trying to show us his authority and do it for our good. We just don't like authority. So I said, Jesus, what about, what about Jesus? Does Jesus have a rightful claim to authority over you, over me? What about Jesus gives him authority if he does have authority? And if he, if he does have authority, we, we admit that. Are we willing to submit to the authority of Jesus in every area of our lives? I would suggest to you based on, on this passage and on this entire section of Luke and even all of Scripture that Jesus does have authority. He has absolute and complete authority as the Son of God. And that all people are called to submit to the rule and the reign of Jesus, submit to his authority. So let's sum up the passage in this phrase, in this sentence, we are called to submit to the authority of Jesus. That's, that's just a simple thought that we're going to muse on this morning. We are all called to submit to the authority of Jesus. Let's read Luke 19. I'll start in verse 45 and we'll go through chap- verse 8 of chapter 20. As we read this, we'll we'll consider the the display of Jesus' authority. Then we'll think about the the source of Jesus' authority. And then we'll ask some questions about uh, what keeps us from submitting to the authority of Jesus. And then also, if we are going to submit to to Jesus' authority, what's that going to look like in our lives? So, beginning in verse 45 of chapter 19. And he, Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the city were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, Tell us. By what authority you do these things, and who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We are all called to submit to the authority of Jesus. So in this passage, let's think first about the display of Jesus' authority. I think that's in verses um, chapter 19, the verses there, verses 45 through, through 49. Um, I'm sorry, through 48. The display of Jesus' authority. How does Jesus reveal his understanding of his own authority in this passage? We saw part of it previously when he enters into Jerusalem riding on this, on this donkey, that he enters into Jerusalem as a king. You remember that significance. He's riding on a donkey, he's entering the city to cries of Hosanna, that he's accepting this praise as the Messiah, as the long-awaited king of Israel. He's accepting that. He's enthroning himself, as it were, allowing the people to enthrone him as king. And as he enters the city, the first place that he goes is where? Verse 45, he enters into the temple. It would seem like it happened, that's the first place he goes. He goes through the gate, and he goes straight to the temple. Or as he called it back when he was 12 years old, you remember that, what did he call it? It's my father's house. That's where he goes. He goes to his father's house. That's the first place he goes when he enters the city. That makes sense, doesn't it? He enters the temple... And most probably, he's in the, he's, most probably he's in the court of the Gentiles. It was this, this large area that was set up um, to be a place of prayer for all nations to come. And as he enters in, he finds that it's not a place of prayer, but rather it's, it's turned into a marketplace. Again, this is where all nations, non-Jews, were supposed to be able to come and pray and, and seek God. And it had become filled with, with money changers. So there were people that, that were there and they had tables set up and they were exchanging money. Because there was only a certain uh, currency that you could use in the temple. And so people would bring their money and they'd bring it to the money changers and they would exchange it and give them the the money that they could use in the temple. What were they buying? They were buying um, animals for sacrifices. They were selling pigeons and other animals. and, And maybe even some people say even religious trinkets of sorts as you go to Jerusalem. And they're doing this there in, the, in, in uh, the court of the Gentiles. So travelers would arrive from all over Israel. And especially at this time, Passover is happening. They'd, they'd arrive and rather than bring their own animals from, from far distances, they would bring money and they would go then to the temple and they would buy these animals for their sacrifices. And it became uh, obviously a very lucrative business. But imagine that scene, if you will. This is supposed to be a place of what? It's supposed to be a place of prayer. And, and it's filled with the sound of, of, of coins clinking, being exchanged, and the noise of animals, of people bargaining and, and haggling over different purchases that they're making. And Jesus sees this, and it tells us that he starts to overturn the tables of the money changers. And, and, and the, the coins start flying, and the pigeons start flying, and, and he drives out everyone who sold there. He quotes two Old Testament passages. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's from Isaiah 56 that Jake read earlier and gave us a good context for that. that that's, that's a sign that all nations were supposed to be able to come. It speaks there of those that were normally outcasts. And, and, and Isaiah 56 says they are all welcomed in into my house. Jesus says this house is supposed to be a house of prayer. Other, other gospels add for all nations. And, and now it's been turned into a, a place where money changers and people selling animals are. The other passage is in uh, Jeremiah 7.11, where God is exposing the, the sin of Israel, and He asks if they have turned His house into a den, into a hideout, as it were, for robbers. We should note that that what Jesus is beginning to reveal, as He has been revealing throughout Um, his ministry is that the openness of his message to all people, to all nations, that is no longer just exclusively for the Jewish people, but that all nations may find salvation in him. He's not just for the Jews, but he is for all people, just as this court is supposed to be open for all nations. And he's rebuking these religious forms of his day that were, that were casting people out, that were shoving people out of the temple. He's saying, this is not what my house was intended to be. But Jesus is also proclaiming, authority for himself and he's proclaiming authority as a priest as the true priest of israel the, the priests were in charge of the temple if you've read through leviticus i'm in the middle of leviticus right now and and you read all the things that the priests were responsible for they were responsible for the temple they were so pro- responsible for the the cleanliness of the land and the holiness of of the people And and this was supposed to be their job. They were to be holy and they were to be set apart and they were to make sure that the temple was holy and set apart. And so Jesus, as he takes control in this situation, he wields authority as a priest. He does what the priests are supposed to do. He is the great high priest who himself is holy and set apart and he calls all people to be holy. We think about that picture as it plays out into the crucifixion, and even the book of Hebrews talks so clearly about how Jesus is not the high priest simply in this sense of of holiness, but also that he comes and he offers the ultimate sacrifice for sin, the once for all sacrifice. He is the priest who offers the sacrifice, and he himself is the sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the the priest would would bring the sacrifices and, and kill them. They were in charge of this whole ritual, and they would be in charge of killing the animals and atoning for the sins of the people. And Jesus comes and He offers Himself as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We're all sinners and we all deserve judgment, and that picture of the sacrifice is the picture of death, and it's what we all deserve. And so Jesus comes as the sacrifice, as our substitute. And He dies in our place so that we can know forgiveness of sins. He becomes the great high priest. He's the priest with authority. He says, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is the King, right? He's the Messianic King. He's the King of Kings. He's the priest. He cleanses the temple. He offers Himself as a sacrifice to cleanse sinners. And He's a prophet. That threefold office of prophet priest, and king. You see it in verse 48 of chapter 19. He's a prophet. He was teaching daily in the temple. And we see in verse chapter 20, verse 1, that he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. His message never changed. It's what he began with back in chapter 4, and it's what he's continued with all the way up to this moment. He is proclaiming the message of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And here he's taking on this role as a prophet, speaking forth the word of God to the people of God in the temple of God. He had taught all his life, and here he is in this moment, boldly proclaiming the message of the gospel. So Jesus is is letting his glory be put on display, as it were. He's going public, very clearly. He comes into the city. He's the king of kings. He goes into the temple and clears it out. He is the great high priest. And he's in the temple, and he is preaching. He is the prophet. He is the word of God in flesh. And what's the response of the people? The response of the people, as always, is split. There's people, it says, there were people that were hanging on his words. I mean, they were just, they were on the edge of their seats at every word that he said, just waiting to hear what he would say. They recognized that he spoke with authority and with power, and they wanted to hear what he was saying. But along with those um, who were hanging on his, his every word, we have those that wanted to destroy him. The chief priests and the scribes, And the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Why? I think part of it is that Jesus is coming and he's infringing on their territory, isn't he? Notice with the three people that are mentioned. The chief priests, the scribes, and the principal men or the elders or the rulers of the people. He comes in to the temple and he does what those chief priests were supposed to be doing. He clears out the temple. He says, you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do, so I'm coming with authority, and I'm going to do what you guys should have done a long time ago. He's infringing on their authority. He comes in, and he's he's preaching. He's preaching the truth of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and it's going against what the scribes are saying. And the scribes should have known all this. If they were students of the scripture, they should have seen that Jesus was the fulfillment of all these things. And he is rebuking them by his teaching. And then the elders, those that were supposed to rule over, Jesus is saying, You're ruling terribly, and I'm coming as the king that will rule rightly, will rule my people the way that they are supposed to be governed and ruled. And they hated this. They hated the thought of Jesus coming in as some sort of peasant king from Nazareth. What gives him the right to come in here and to infringe on their authority? Where did this authority come from? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? So we see him display his authority. Now we need to ask that question what's the source of Jesus' authority? What is the source of Jesus' authority? It says there in, in chapter 20, verse 1, that one day, presumably pretty soon afterwards, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and these this group of three groups come to him again, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. So that's our connection back to chapter 19. They come back, and they want to ask Jesus a question. Verse 2, the question is, it's more a statement, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you... This authority. Another way to ask that is, who do you think you are? <laughs> They're saying, who do you think you are coming in here and doing these things? Well, what are, what are these things? That should be obvious, right? The, these things are, he's coming in on, on, um, on the donkey as king. He's coming in and he's cleansing the temple and he's prophesying in the temple. And they say, what gives you the right? What gives you the authority, Jesus of Nazareth, nobody, to come in here and do this? Now, the question of the scribes and the Pharisees, I think it's a legitimate question, isn't it? I mean, if someone comes in and is wielding authority or asking you to do something or commanding you to do something, you want to know what's the source of your authority. Why should I listen to you? That's true in our lives, isn't it? I want to know if you tell me what to do or you're doing something on my property, I want to know why you're doing it. There's this guy in our neighborhood. He walks up and down the street and he he walks into my backyard. And he walks into my shed in my backyard. Well, he's the meter reader. (laughs) He does it to everyone's house. He's got a right, doesn't he? Because he's got that. That's not really even my meter. I don't necessarily own it. I don't even own the house. I rent the house. But but he has the right to do that because he's been given that right. He has authority. Now, if there's some random guy walking around the street that wanders in my backyard, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, "Why don't you leave?" But, but so we need to ask the question, does Jesus have authority to do the things that he does? So the question is a good question. But I, I think these guys are not asking it from sincere hearts. Rather, the question, this is an effort to discredit Jesus. In their minds, there's certain people that, that earn the right to wield authority. There's certain hoops you have to jump through to be able to talk like this or to do these different things. Jesus is not from a well-recognized town. No prophet comes out of Nazareth. This is a town that's despised by people. He was, he was not the student of any particular rabbi. No one said that Jesus had the right to talk about these things. He has no formal training as far as we know. Um, he, he had not been recognized by the Pharisees or the scribes or the elders as someone that people should listen to. He's wandering around with a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots, and behind him is this train of people that are usually sick or demon-possessed, or unclean, or lepers. I mean, imagine. And this guy walks into the temple and just starts talking. They, they wanted to ask him this question and show that Jesus was unqualified, he was unapproved, and he was unauthoritative. He sh- no one should listen to this guy. But whatever their motive is, they ask a good question. What gives Jesus the right to say these things? And so he answers them. And how does Jesus answer people usually? With a question. (laughs) So he asks them a question of his own. I have a question for you guys. And he references John the Baptist. He says, I will ask you a question. Now you tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? You remember John. He comes speaking with and acting with authority. John was just like Jesus, acting with, with authority, proclaiming the kingdom of God, calling people to repent. To turn from sin because of the quickly approaching arrival of the Messiah. And Jesus asks his questioners what they thought about, about John's authority. Did John have a right to say and to do the things that he did? And was that right God-given? Or did he just kind of come up with it on his own? This is, this is like the perfect question. Because it not only answers their question... But it also reveals their hearts, which is what we're going to see later on. So Jesus' point is this. If John's authority is from heaven, which it is, and and John said that Jesus was the Messiah, which he did, then Jesus has authority from heaven, and he truly is the Messiah. So if if they will recognize the authority of John the Baptist, then they have to recognize the authority of Jesus. That he, in fact, is who John said he was, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus holds John forth as this witness. John is a witness of the heavenly authority of Jesus. And it gives him the right to teach and to cleanse the temple and to enter into Jerusalem as the exalted Messiah. But if you're not willing to acknowledge, he says, if you're not willing to acknowledge John's authority, then you won't acknowledge my authority. John the Baptist isn't the only witness. He's the only witness that's given here. If, if you want to read this afternoon, I encourage you to read John chapter 5. Because in John chapter 5, Jesus answers this question of authority, and he gives even more witnesses to who he is. He mentions John. John's the first guy he mentions. He says, you see, you sent to John, and he is born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John the Baptist was a testimony to the truthfulness and the authority of Jesus. But not just John. Jesus then says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. He says, All these miracles I do, they prove that I have authority, that I am from God. If that's not enough, he says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. You remember when Jesus is baptized, what does the Father do? He opens heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What other proof of authority do you need? Except God speaking from heaven and saying, Listen to this man. You look at verse 39 of of John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. All of the scriptures are pointing that Jesus has authority to do these things. And specifically he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. He says, Moses was talking about me. I have authority because Moses gave me authority. Imagine what that sounds like to a first century Jewish person. You want to know where I get my authority from? I get my authority from Moses. And if you listen to him, then you listen to me. Jesus gives them John the Baptist. Jesus doesn't preach John 5 here though in, in, in Luke chapter 20 because he knows their hearts. He knows that the hearts of these guys are just set on discrediting him. They're not interested in listening to him. So Jesus knows the hearts of everyone. He knows what's going on in these guys' hearts. But I think there's a principle here, isn't there? That sometimes people are coming and they're talking to us about Jesus, and they want us to, to you know, give me, tell me why you listen to Jesus. Tell me why Jesus should be an authority. Why should I listen to Jesus? And what's, what's their motive? Their motive is they just want to discredit him. They have no interest in following after Jesus. They want to come and, and start some sort of an argument. We need a good question like this, you know, that sort of exposes their hearts and puts them into a corner. And I think that's, we, we need to find those questions. But there are times when people come and they simply want to want to pick a fight. And I think our, the best thing that we can do is to do what Jesus does. Expose their hearts and then and then move on. Now, we've got to be careful with that because we need to be winsome and we need to talk to people. But sometimes there's circumstances where, where people have no interest in thinking about the authority of Jesus. And so Jesus says... I'll give you this question. If you don't want to answer that, then fine. I'm not going to tell you about what authority I do these things. I'm not going to tell you, but I kind of just told you. <laughs> so Jesus has authority, and it comes, It comes. he says here, from the witness of John the Baptist. But it comes from so many other places that Jesus has authority in our lives as the Son of God sent from the Father. He, he displays his authority, and he has the right over our lives. So the question is, will we submit to that? If we recognize the authority of Jesus, are we willing to submit to his authority in every area of our lives? What would keep us from submitting to the authority of Jesus? That's the, next, that's the question. Let's talk about that. What keeps us from submitting to the authority of Jesus? Because I think the, these uh, scribes and elders and chief priests reveal our own hearts. the answer in one word is is sin and the specific sin is 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 pride it's rebellion against god but look at these religious leaders let's see why they don't want to listen to jesus and why we don't want to listen to jesus i think the first reason i'd say is because of our desire to be in control (laughs) we don't want to submit to jesus because we want to be in control the natural bent of the human heart is i want to be king i don't want jesus to be king at the core, it's a simple rejection of any and all kind of authority. We want to be in control. I don't, I don't want a king. I want to be king. I don't want a high priest. I want to make atonement for my own sins by the things that I do. I don't want to profit because I've already got everything figured out. That, that's the natural bent of our hearts is we don't want to listen to other people. And I think that's what's going on here. These, these guys have authority in their lives. You maybe maybe have learning, you have teaching, you may have a a realm of authority at your job. You have authority maybe in your home. And so the idea of submitting to anyone, it's kind of repulsive to you. You know, I'm kind of in charge, I've got things together. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. And Jesus comes and says, no, actually you do. (laughs) And I am the authority in your life and I will tell you what to do and what not to do because I am God. And I've laid it out for you we want to be in control. So we need to see that desire to be in control. I think more clearly here in the text is our, our, our unwillingness to admit failure. We don't submit to the authority of Jesus because we are unwilling to admit failure. It says here, um, so they, Jesus asks the questions and they, dis, the, they discuss among themselves. They say, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? For them to say that John was who he was would be to admit that they had been wrong about John. That they didn't see John for who he was. And by connection, if they're wrong about John, they're wrong about Jesus. And if they're wrong about John and they're wrong about Jesus, then they're also wrong about their whole religious system. This whole system that they've set up in addition to the law is wrong. It's not the failure of Judaism, because Jesus is the fulfillment of it, but it's, it's the failure of, of their external systems. And so for them to say, Jesus, you are the final and full authority, is to admit failure on their part. We failed to see who John was, and they don't want to do that. So many times we don't submit to the rule of God, because we don't want to admit that we've failed. People struggle with coming to Christ because of that. I don't want to admit that I've been in a religious system for however many years and believed something, and now to come to Christ is to say, that's wrong, that the way that I was living was wrong, or that my parents were wrong. That's a difficult thing to say. And so we reject the authority of Jesus because we don't want to admit our own failure. We don't want to admit our own failure at ruling ourselves. We want to think that we've got it all together, and I, I'm ruling myself just fine. And to come to Jesus is to say, I haven't been a good king in my life, and I need a better king. The, the way that I've lived my life has not been perfect, and I need to understand what Jesus tells me to do. I need to admit my failure to live life on my own, that I need someone to tell me what to do. We don't submit because of our desire to be in control, our unwillingness to admit failure. and then And then finally, I'd say the opinions of others. The opinions of others keep us from submitting to the authority of Jesus. So the first reason, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you believe in him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death because they're convinced that John was a prophet. Isn't that interesting? It has nothing to do with what's true, does it? Maybe they really didn't believe that John was a prophet, and they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Then say that. If that's what you believe, then say it. But they're not even willing to do that. Why? Because they're, they're afraid of other people. They're afraid of the opinion of other people. It has nothing to do with the truth. It has primarily to do with how others will perceive them. And the fear of man is greater to them than the fear of God. We often live in that realm, I think, that we, we fear others more than we fear God. I think sometimes when maybe if, if you are not a Christian and you think about becoming a Christian, you're scared of what everyone's going to think of you. You're scared of, of how your co-workers will react or your friends will react. If you start following Jesus and say, Jesus is the authority, I'm not allowed to do that anymore. This is what I do now on the weekends and I don't do what I used to do on the weekends. That's a difficult thing to think about because you're worried about what other people will think of you. Or as Christians, don't we fall into this? We're more scared of what other people will think of us than we are of how God views the way that we live our lives. We don't submit to His authority because we're submitting to the authority of other people because we're scared of other people. We're scared of their opinions of us rather than fearing God and trusting that His way is best. All these reasons, these are just three that I think we see in the text for why we don't submit to the authority of Jesus. And it's interesting to see that Jesus' response is, you know, if you don't want to answer the question, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. So if we see those things in our lives and we can repent from them, then just in closing, what's it going to look for us like for us to live under the authority of Jesus? So we talk about this authority of Jesus. We've seen it displayed in the text. We've seen that the source is true, that He is the true and final authority. And we see the way that our hearts deceive us, whether it's through the, the opinions of others or our unwillingness to admit failure, our desire to rule over our own lives. Well, let's say we get past all that and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to submit to you. What will that look like for us? What's that going to look like in our everyday lives? Just a side note, we don't give Jesus authority. Jesus has authority, and we submit to it. So don't think that I'm in control of my life and now I'm going to give Jesus control of my life. Jesus is in control of everything, whether we submit to it or not. It's just better if we choose to submit to the authority now. And so we submit. What's it going to look like if we live underneath that authority? The first thing that I think we see very clearly here is it's going to be a rejection of any man-made authorities. It's going to be a rejection of man-made authorities. It's going to be a rejection of religious systems or religious legalism or anyone else who has authority over me. Whether it's the opinions of others or, or some other form of religion that does not make Jesus the precedent, or any other idol in my heart that I'm worshiping other than Christ, all these other man-made authorities that rule over me, I I get rid of all of those other authorities. And Jesus alone is the authority in my life. What He says is what I do. So it's rejection of man-made authorities and it's submission to the Word of God. Submission to the Word of God. As the Bible speaks, so God speaks. He has given us His Word. He has told us what it looks like to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. And so we should listen to the Scriptures. The Scriptures should have full and final authority in our lives as if they come from directly from God, because they do come directly from God. The, the Scriptures should take a prominent place in our lives. Every day we should be seeking them. How, Jesus, can I live under your rule today? How can your kingdom come and your will be done in my life today? because you are king you are in control what is your authority going to look like and scripture reveals that to us now here's what i'm not saying so i've said rejection of man made authority and submission to the word of god and people can take that and turn that into some sort of i'm by myself i don't listen to anyone else i submit to god's word alone and it come it turns into something that's that's ugly it's 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 this independentness That I'm by myself and I've got my Bible and I don't need church and I don't need anyone else because I'm following Jesus. Now maybe you've had that in your own heart. I think I've had that in my own heart. Maybe you know people like that. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. So it's rejection of man-made authorities, submission to the Word of God, and submission to God-ordained authorities. There are man-made authorities that are not from God. But there are authorities that God has put into our lives for our good, and we need to submit to those things. So we think about the family unit that God has created. There is a structure in the family unit that is for our good. God God has made men and women different, and He's given us different roles. We are equal in the body of Christ, completely, completely. There is no male or female, Scripture says. But there are different roles, and we need to understand how that works, because that's how life works best. That's what God has done for us. There are authorities between parents and children. Now, again, we talked about abuse of authority, and so parents, we need to be careful. We're not lording it over our kids, exasperating our children. And yet, children, the Bible says that you are to obey your parents, that they are an authority in your life. And where's the authority that your parents have come from? It comes from God. So in submitting and obeying your parents, you are obeying God. Because God has given you that authority in your life. We all have different realms where we need to obey our parents. But especially for young kids, if you're in a, you, by submitting to your parents, you are submitting to Jesus. You are letting God reign in your life. We think about the church. There's an authority structure within the church. Um, hopefully the scripture tells us that the elders should not rule over, lord over the church. And hopefully Joel and I don't do that. But there is a structure of authority within the church. And that, that we hope that we can lead the church well. But there's a, a realm where the, the church and members are called to, to listen to the elders and to submit to elders as we lovingly serve. We're going to talk about, um, about the government. Because that's in this passage, paying taxes to Caesar shows up. All authority is ultimately from God, and God has given authority to governments. And so when we listen to the government, when you paid your taxes this week, hopefully, right? And you did it the way you were supposed to, you were submitting to the government. But who were you ultimately submitting to? Submitting to God, because they have power only because God gave them power. There's other areas that we can think about, but as we think about submission to Jesus, it doesn't mean that I reject all other authorities in my life, because there are legitimate authorities that God has placed in our lives for our good, and it will look like us obeying those things. Your boss at work is an authority that you are to obey as from God. Two more quickly and we're done. Submission, uh, what's it look like to live underneath the authority of Jesus? It, it's going to look like submission to Jesus instead of sin. This is not necessarily clearly in this text, but I'm just thinking about authority. So hopefully um, Scripture supports what I'm saying. But so anyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. A slave to sin. You, slave, you, sin is your master. But when we come to Christ, sin no longer has dominion over us. Instead of becoming a slave to sin, we, don't be, we become free, but we also become a slave to Christ. So Paul loved to talk about himself as, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am a slave of Jesus. And so submission to Jesus is going to look like, I don't serve sin anymore. I serve Christ. I submit to Him fully. I do whatever Jesus tells me to do. Jesus calls the shots in my life. Sin no longer has dominion over me. If you are apart from Christ, sin has dominion over you. You have no choice but to say yes to sin. But in Christ, if we have come to faith, we put our faith and trust in Christ, you now can say no to sin and yes to the rule and the reign of Christ in your life. And sin no longer has dominion over you. If we're living under the authority of Jesus, we say no to sin and we say yes to Christ. And finally, submission to the authority of Jesus is going to look like us spreading the gospel. It's going to look like us spreading the gospel. What does Matthew 28 say? Jesus' final words. He says what? All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in light of that, what does he say? Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus takes his authority and he gives it to us and says, now go and make disciples of me. He authoritatively tells us to do it, and he authoritatively gives us the authority to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel and call people to repentance and faith. So if we're submitting to Christ, it's going to look like rejecting any man-made authorities. It's going to look like submitting to God's word, submitting to all of the God-ordained authorities in our lives. It's going to look like submitting to Jesus the rule and the reign of Jesus, and not to sin. And it's going to look like us spreading the gospel in the authority that Christ has given us. If we don't, we're going to look like the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Are you impressed with them? Verse 7. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. What a, what a cop-out. I mean, come on. These guys have no backbone whatsoever. They don't want to be thought of as failures. They don't want to be thought of poorly by other people. And Jesus stands forth and says, fine, I'm not going to tell you what I do. Jesus stands forth as the one with full authority. These guys who thought they had authority had no authority. And Jesus calls us to submit to him. Don't you want to submit to a ruler like that, to a leader like that? I mean, Jesus comes and he calls us and he is the king he is the great high priest. He is the prophet who speaks the word of God. He's the one that we should submit to, and and he is such a loving and good king. And he's seeking nothing but our good. And when we submit to him, he's not a taskmaster. Master, he's 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 not mean and vindictive. He's not a slave driver. He's our father. Jesus is our older brother. He calls us to walk with him, and he loves us, and he walks with us every step of the way. Let's submit to Jesus. There's no better life than that. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's Word. And I'll close this in prayer and then we'll close with the song. But let's just take a moment of silence and and let God speak to our hearts about what His Word has said. Father, we thank You for Your love for us. God, we thank You that You are... Righteous and holy, and yet also, Lord, that you you love us and you show us mercy and grace every day. We thank you for Jesus, the great prophet, priest, and king. Lord, we want to willingly submit to him. We really we want to willingly kneel before him and let him have full authority in our lives, because that is where true joy is found. So, Lord, help us to do that. Holy Spirit, continue to lead us into all truth. Continue to teach us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.